Welcome to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans and Jeff Shade, a show that simplifies the complexities of investments, taxes, retirement, and more so you can discover how to better sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. Brian is a CPA with 30 years experience and a financial advisor, which brings a unique perspective to the financial world. This show is brought to you by Madrona Financial and CPAs, home of the Rooted Wealth Plan. Want a retirement plan designed to last 30 plus years? Go to madronafinancial.com and click Get Started to see what the Rooted Wealth Plan can do for you. And now, here are your hosts, Brian Evans and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Growing Your Wealth from Madrona Financial and CPAs, where we give you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and comprehensive planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the solid advice comes from Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Certainly glad to hear that. Hope our listeners are doing well today, too, this fine fall weekend. The holidays are going to be here before you know it. Blink twice, Brian. We'll be sitting down to a Thanksgiving dinner. Blink three times, and it's going to be Christmas time. And then, of course, New Year's in 2023. My, how time flies when you're having fun. We haven't had that much fun here in the past year or so. Of course, inflation is still raging a bit out there. There are a lot of problems, but I do have hope that we're going to be rectifying those somewhat in the near future with the midterm election but we'll wait and see. But what's on my mind today is something that I saw an article written about just this past day or so, and it's about Boeing and the fact that Boeing risks losing hundreds of experienced engineers to early retirement, and it has to do with their pension funds. Can you explain more about that, Brian? Yeah. Boeing's pension, you have two options. One is you can take cash flow. They have a, you know, I say two. There's many variations on the two, but the two primary options, one is taking monthly checks for life or for dual life or for your life, and then a a lesser amount for your spouse if you pass away prematurely, all all that stuff. So they have these options for the monthly checks. Now, if you're going to take the monthly check from the plan, then you probably don't need to worry about what we're going to talk about. But let's say you're considering the other option. The other option is a lump sum distribution. Because interest rates were so low, when they compute how much the lump sum would be relative to the monthly check, Mm -hmm. the lump sum is going to vary greatly accordingly with interest rates. When interest rates are low, it just so happens that the computation makes the lump sum very high. When interest rates go up, that lump sum goes way down. Now, what we had was the lowest interest rates ever. So, okay, lump sum was highest ever. So if you're considering taking that lump sum, then if you wait till, say, November of 2022, you're going to be too late. You're going to have the new figures with a much higher interest rate computed in there, meaning your lump sum would be much less. So if you're going to think about retire, you want to do it this month, October 2022, get that stuff in there so you can get the bigger lump sum if that's what you plan on taking. Brian, what I'm reading here is for the average employee nearing retirement within the next five years, a 1% increase in interest would cut $78,000 off the total lump sum paid out upon retirement. I mean, that really is quite a consideration. So what you're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that if you're even thinking about retiring and you want to take the lump sum, that you should do it right away. What would happen if you just, let's say, waited a year or so or two years to do this and interest rates continue to rise? I mean, you could be out, what, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, we're already there because you said a 1% increase. Well, there's been a lot more than a 1% increase from last year. Uh, there's been multiple percent increases. So that's 78 plus another 78 plus another 70, yeah. you, know, you know, whatever that is, it's a lot of money. It's a huge amount of money. And so you actually, if, if you say, no, I'm not going to retire now, I'm going to work another nine months or whatever, and then take the lump sum, you're actually paying to work. Yeah. Because they're not going to pay you as much in nine months as you're giving up on the lump sum. So that's kind of silly to do. So it's really important that you sit down and, and, and go through these numbers because one of the things we can do is compute a break even. So what I mean by that is let's do a real simple computation. Let's say that you can have $30,000 a year or a lump sum. And you look at the lump sum and you divide it by the 30000 You know, I'm mean, counting inflation or earnings or anything like that. And you can compute how many years that is. Now, if you go, well, I just did that simple computation, knowing this is like worst case scenario and I'm, my break even is age 80. And if I factor in inflation and earnings, it's, it might be age 90 or 95 or 100. And you go, wait a second, why would I take the pension if I believe I can get some rate of return on my investment from the lump sum and my lump sum is going to be really high? So these are the computations we, we basically run is we want to figure out what your break even is, your life expectancy, kind of that kind of thing to start with. We need that empirical data to figure out what makes sense. And what's interesting about the Boeing plans is they're not all the same. There's a lot of different ones. I recently had somebody where we, we, she had two different plans and same decision. Should I retire or take the money? And one of them, it was clearly she should take the lump sum. Mm -hmm. The other one, it was clear she should take the monthly. They were just negotiated differently, and it wasn't obvious. But one of them had a break-even about age 75, and I'm like, well, take the monthly on that one. And the other one might have been 90. I said, well, take the lump sum on that one. And so it was real clear once we did a thorough analysis of that. There are other factors to consider, though. I mean, sometimes you go, well... Yeah, I, I know I should probably take the lump sum, but I'm scared to death of the market. All I want is security. My longevity is going to be really long, and I just want to know I have a monthly check coming in. I don't want to take any chance whatsoever. Well, then take the monthly, and don't worry about when you retire. Retire anytime. It's not affected here. But a lot of people, in fact, right now, fully, according to the article, fully half of Boeing retirees are taking the lump sum. Mm -hmm. And it would probably be even more if, they, if more people did this analysis. And they did the analysis by saying, all right, what if I take the lump sum, roll it over into my IRA, invest that, earn some rate of return over the long haul, and then what would that number look like? And when they do that number in the computation, they go, whoa, wait a second, I definitely want to take the lump sum. And so it's really important we run that. Most people aren't equipped to just run that, you know, it's not just a simple computation. It's, it's not that at all. There are other variables involved and then there are non-financial variables involved and some variables we can't solve for. How long are you going to live? How long is your spouse going to live? You know, I can't solve for that necessarily and, you know, I can't solve for what your rate of return would be but we can guess. We can get, you know, we can make an educated guess on all of these things and come up with a really good solution but you got to do it now. You can't put it off another month. Another month it yeah, won't matter. Right. <laughs> so 
that's why I wanted to record this now and say, we can help you do this. We can help you run through these calculations. Talk about what your lifestyle plan needs to be, what you want it to look like. Can you handle some risk of investment risk with a lump sum if you know you're going to get a lot more money to do it? And, and most people say, yeah, I can handle some of that because I already have a Boeing pension in addition to this. So maybe because I have that pension, I'll take the lump sum, invest that. I'm, I'm you know diversified that way. And so a lot of people are, are making that decision rolling the money over to their IRA and investing it, not just in the stock market, but in all the things that we talk about on this show. And for those people who are thinking about retiring, as you said, there is some urgency to this. So if you've got questions about it, once again, madronafinancial.com or 844-MADRONA, highly encourage you to get in and sit down with an advisor and run over your options. Brian, besides the financial aspect to this, there's also a personal aspect. A lot of these engineers are weighing this decision to retire early, and they've shown a reluctance to leave. I mean, a lot of them enjoy, they take pride in their work, and many have commented about their disappointment knowing that separating from the company and their relationship with Boeing is the logical decision, but it's going to be hard. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I talked to a lot of people that, that are in that boat. And I think what we're talking about right now is really a small subset of the people who work at Boeing. They're thinking about retiring. They could retire now, retire in a year, retire in a year and a half, and they're considering the lump sum. Okay, that's who I'm talking to right now. Now, if you're somebody that says, gosh, I'm, I'm listening to you, but I'm 60 years old. I don't really have a lot of, I really love my work. I love what I do. I don't really want to retire I'm not sure what I would do with myself. Well, you're not who I'm talking to, probably. You're somebody that says, I'm going to be here for years. If you're going to be here for for years, I'm not really talking to you right now. The decision on a lump sum is for somebody that wants is considering retiring now. If you're not really considering retiring now, then by all means, just keep working. But if you were considering retiring, as I mentioned earlier, nine months from now, you might be paying $100,000 to work for nine months because of all the money you lose, you know, just throwing a number out there. But that would be a terrible mistake. If it's in the cards that you would retire in the next year or two years, you got to have this analysis done now to take care of yourself. But if, if that number is, no, I, I want to work at least five more years, well, then don't worry about this. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs about the Boeing situation, those engineers who are retiring. There is some urgency to this. The longer you wait, the less money you could get if you take the lump sum option. And with interest rates rising 5% or more here by November, you could be out as much as two to $300,000. And Brian, I've been doing a little reading on this. I understand that Boeing is not the only company that this applies to. General Motors uh, also is a company which I have seen mentioned where this situation exists as well too. So once again, if you're at Boeing, you're thinking about retiring and you want to have some answers to uh, help you make that hard decision, contact Madrona Financial and sit down with one of the advisors here and let them run their comparisons for you to see which is the right comparison for you. You know, we've been talking about the big trees here in the Pacific Northwest, and so many of them are falling over on their sides after big storms because they don't have deep enough roots. Well, we're in a financial storm right now. If you are worried about how deep your financial roots are and you do not want your plan to be blown over by a financial storm, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button to find out how deep your financial roots are. There are only a couple of questions there to answer. It won't take long. It's madronafinancial.com. Click on the Get Started button to find out how deep your financial roots are. No cost and no obligation. madronafinancial.com. Growing your wealth will be right back with even more ways to help sustain yourself and your wealth for years to come. 
Tired of only getting half the story? That's why it's so important to get your financial information from a CPA and an advisor like Brian Evans. Now let's get back to some of the most comprehensive financial information around. You're listening to Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. And in this segment, we're going to start our third quarter review from 2022, reviewing the JP Morgan Asset Management Reports. And Brian, this is something we do a couple of times a year, and it is quite valuable to sort of get a temperature check on where we are in the markets. Let's start with the equity section here, S&P 500 valuation measures. Yeah, valuation measure. I want to, it's very interesting. I think this is probably as important as anything with regards to the stock market, because people are, are, some people are kind of freaking out about the market. They go, oh, the market's terrible. It's been dropping, dropping, dropping. Well, as we may recall, it went way up during COVID and it kept going. Going up, well, it dropped a lot, and then it recovered quickly, and then it just kept going. And then the, the government pumped trillions of dollars of stimulus into the economy, and then the economy really supercharged, and markets went really high. I mean, way higher a percentage return. And then we had this give back here. I, I call it the hangover mm-hmm. from all that easy money that was pumped into the economy. And so, really, what we have is a, a normal trend. When you go back several years to where we're at today, it's kind of a normal trend line. Right. But we did not do that anywhere close to a straight line. And so that's where people are reacting. So we always have to go back to valuations. And where I like to start is the price earnings ratio, because you buy stocks because the companies you believe will have profit. I mean, that's that's why we invest in companies in the end. And it's that relative relationship between the earnings and the price that you're willing to pay for those earnings. Now, long term, the 25-year average says that we are willing to pay about 17 times earnings for stocks. That's been the long-term average. And so if we compute that out, what does that compute to? Well, it computes out to about 6%. So what we're saying is if a company is earning 6% of the value of that company, then that's its fair value. If it's earning 20%, uh, it's probably a buy. I want to buy that because well, 20% mm-hmm. return, that's pretty good. Or if it's earning two, you know, I'm leaving out the growth of earnings right now. You're just a static number here. Then I'm overpaying for it. So long-term, uh, investors are willing to pay about 17 times earnings and so they can earn 6% to the company's bottom line, to their equity and so forth. So that's the long-term average. Does the stock market trade at that level all the time? No, rarely does it trade there. In fact, if I go back 25 years, back to the late 90s, it was trading above that until the year 2002, where it was below, and then it was above, and then it was below. And then for the next, oh gosh, 13, 14 years, it was trading below that figure. And then it was, wasn't was until about 2016 that it crossed over again. I call it reversion to mean. It's like a magnet. If mm-hmm. you look at a, at a graph and you draw a straight line across and you do squiggly lines above it, below it, above it, below it, over and over, what you'll notice in this, what I'm looking at here, which you can't see listening to this, but what I'm seeing is it's like a magnet. It will always pull it back to equilibrium, mm-hmm. which is the 17 times earnings investors are willing to pay. So as I go back, you know, back in 16, it crossed that line 
and it hovered right around it until COVID hit. And then it dropped. It was undervalued for a minute. And then it went supercharged. Then it went up to over 22 times earnings. So people were really bullish about the market because there was all this money in the economy. Things were great. It was roaring 20s again. But so the 1920s, it was the 2020s. And so I never thought about that that way before. Yeah, these are the roaring 20s. Or it was the roaring 20s, yeah. It most certainly was. And then the hangover happened. And we got to pay the piper. Mm -hmm. And we see it drop. And so we went a few years where the stock market was overvalued. And now guess where it's at? It's right at, well, I'm I'm looking at this, a 25-year average is actually Mm 16.8, and the latest is 16.4. So I'd say we're pretty on to valuation here. It should be about 16, 17 times earnings long term, but it can go decades where it's above or below that. So we have to take that into account. So I'm looking at this going, huh, we have a fairly valued market. So the price of the market is kind of where it should be based on the earnings, leaving everything out like growth of earnings. We're going to be analyzing the earnings here in a minute, but I wanted to say our our baseline is we're kind of where we're supposed to be. You know, even though you feel like you've given a lot of money back, I'm not sure we earned that money. That money that, that the market went way up was overheated for a while, was really a function of the government borrowing money and putting it into the economy. That wasn't sustainable. That wasn't long term. We never know the timing of anything. If we did, we'd all be super wealthy. But we can look back and say, okay, that that is probably what happened. I'll also want to talk about the dividend yield of the S&P 500. 25-year average is 2%. Right now, we're about 1.75%. The price to book, price to cash flow, they're all right around that 25-year average. So I'm looking at all the price to cash flow, price to book, price to earnings, dividend yields, the 25-year average versus where they're at today. Wow, all of them are right right tight with that 25-year average. And that's not always the case. So again, I, I just want to emphasize that you know maybe you're upset about the market. Uh, you feel like you lost money. It's funny how people define loss. You know, Three years ago, their account was worth 800000 And uh, two years ago, it was worth 900000 And then it touched a million. And now it's back to 900000 And they, you know, invariably, I, lo- I just lost a hundred grand. Well, Yes and no. I mean, you put in eight hundred. Now it's nine hundred. I, I see that you made a hundred grand over those three years. No, no, no. It was worth a million, and it's now nine hundred. I lost a hundred grand. What about the two hundred you made before that? Oh, never mind. Never mind that. I lost a hundred grand. You know, <laughs> we, we get really focused on loss or perceived loss. You know, it's hard to be a long-term investor and get caught up in that. It'll drive you nuts. First off, I think it helps you make bad decisions sometimes when you focus on the intraday, intramonth, intraquarter movements without the long-term perspective. But that, you know, that's just my opinion on that. You can do what you want as far as your emotions. I can't, I can't dictate that. But I would say um, most investors don't worry about the ups and downs in the short term. Yeah, Brian, and I wish people could see this graph because we had a P.E. ratio in early 19 of about 14 times. Then it's almost a vertical line. It goes straight up to more than 22 times. But the takeaway is that we're getting back to normal as far as S&P 500 valuation measures go. This is our Guide to the Markets with Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs. Brian, let's talk about corporate profits and sources of total return. That's our next topic here. Yeah, profits is earnings. So in the P.E. ratio, uh, price earnings, price to profits is another way of saying it. But uh, the industry says earnings. But now we'll call it profits for a minute. So corporate profits, that is really interesting, too, because as I mentioned, the okay, we've just determined the price of the market is probably, you know, the overall market, the S&P 500 is fair. What about earnings? Are earnings going up? Are they going down? Because, you know, we are where we are. But I would suspect that if 
projected earnings of the S&P 500 are going up, the stock market should go up if it was in line with equilibrium pricing. If earnings are going to go down, I would think the stock market's going to go down. I think that's fair to say, especially as we look at the history. I, again, I wish I could, you know, I could show everybody listening this graph. I will do my best to explain it. So if we take the S&P 500 earnings back to 1988 and we do a baseline of the estimated earnings per share, we'll just call it at 25, $25 a share. Well, due to innovation and technology and opening of global markets, corporations in the S&P 500 have increased their earnings substantially since 1988. In fact, we take that 25 and in 1988 and we fast forward 10 years and it doubled to 50. Okay, that's an increase. It's not a huge increase, but 25 to 50 in about 10 years. The 50 became 100 in about another, maybe another 10 years, we'll call it. But that 100 has become 200 in less than 10 years. And so we've seen it go from $25 in 88 to 200 in 2021, $200 a share, so up uh, 8x. That's a significant increase. And why that's important is all other things being the same, you know, the, the, the valuation. If the earnings have gone up 8x, uh, maybe the stock market does too. I mean, that's what's supposed to happen. And that's probably what did. I know, I know how the stock market numbers here. But if I told you in 1988 that in 30 years, your your numbers gonna, your, your investments are going to be up 8x, uh, you'd probably go, wow, I better get some money in this market because that's what corporate profits did. And corporate profits are what drive the stock market. That is what drives it. Now, if we look at this, what you don't see uh, in front of you right now, which I am looking at, is it didn't go from 25 to 200 in a straight line. It kind of does it is there's definitely a trend line, but it dropped in the late 80s. It dropped during dot-com 9-11 crash. Mm -hmm. It dropped in 2008 substantially and took two years to recover. And then it dropped again for COVID in 2020. And so we saw a drop back to way back down to $125 a share. But then we saw an enormous increase. Yeah, nothing like this on the graph. From 2020 to 2021, it went from $125 a share to 200 That was a lot. That was COVID, uh, supply chain. It was also government intervention. And before COVID, the number was about 150 So we went from 150 to 125 to 200 Well, going to 200 from 150 in basically less than two years was too much. That was that was a lot. That that was overstated because of the investment. Again, we'll call it investment or spending or whatever you want to call it. The government pumped trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars into the economy, overheated it. The stock market went way up, and that's what we were looking at. Corporations were making tons of money. Okay, now fast forward to this year, 2022. The projection is it's going to be flat from 2021. So we have a, a catch-up year here. We got to catch up. So when we see a flat earnings from 2021 to 2022, people investing in stock markets are going, wait a second, corporate earnings aren't up. Maybe I shouldn't be investing in it. And we're seeing the, the market drop. But it's really getting back to equilibrium again. That's where it needs to be. So we just said that at this level, at $200 a share, we'll call it, and price earnings ratio at 17 times earnings, that is fairly valued. Now the question is, what do we think S&P 500 earnings are going to be in the next couple of years? We don't know. However, J.P. Morgan puts out this graph, uh, these graphs, these projections. They do a lot of work on this. They do a really nice job of it. And their projection is that in two years, corporate profits are going to be up 25% from where they're at now. 
So if the market is fairly valued in two years and earnings are up 25%, a mathematician would say then the stock market should be up 25%. It won't be. It will be more than that or less than that. I don't know which, but just based on if all these variables came to play and the market was earning, the S&P 500 did increase its earnings 25% in two years, I would suspect there's a decent chance that the market will have some resemblance to that increase in earnings. We're talking with Brian Evans here of Madrona Financial and CPAs. This is our guide to the markets, and we're going to continue with analyzing the markets here on our show today. Meantime, imagine a couple of years from now, you're at the beach and you check your phone, the markets are down, the news is panicking, and you smile. Because you know you are set. You took the initiative and you made sure your financial plan had deep enough roots to survive any financial storm. Well, if you're questioning your financial roots, simply go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button, and that will allow you to check how deep your financial roots are. Just a couple of questions there, and you will schedule an appointment with a Madrona advisor who can explain it all for you and make sure that your roots are deep enough to survive any financial storm or a retirement that could last for more than 30 years. Again, it's madronafinancial.com and click on the get started button Want more strategies that can help support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years well stick around we'll be right back with more growing your wealth big trees fall when storms hit because they don't have deep enough roots the same goes with your finances your quality of life depends on how deep your financial roots are today tomorrow and for years to come If you want to learn how to design your retirement to last 30 plus years, then grab your copy of 7 Steps to a Successful Retirement by calling Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more of Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about the third quarter 2022 financials, according to J.P. Morgan. And a lot of great information on today's show, Brian. I want to remind people that if you have missed any part of this, we are a podcast. Simply go to wherever you get your podcast. You can hear the whole show all over again. So, Brian, the next one is sources of earnings per share growth. Yeah, and I want to reiterate where we're getting this information. J.P. Morgan Asset Management puts out this wonderful analysis quarterly. Uh, it's very technical. There's a lot of dozens of pages of, of graphs and so forth. And I love to do a deep dive on this stuff. I, I think they do a super job of that. So that's where I'm getting the source of this information. So in the last segment, we were talking about the price earnings ratio. I, we talked about how the price of the S&P 500 is fairly valued based on the 25-year average. The earnings, you know, are what they are. And we talked about, you know, if we're going to try and be predictive of the stock market, we want to know if those earnings are going up or down. I talked about how the difference between 2021 and in 2022, the increase in earnings was negligible. In fact, I'm looking at it right now and breaking it down into its components. It's up 1%. Okay. So 1% is our estimate that earnings will be up from last year. That's not very good because the 20 year average is 9% that we increase. You know, if we made a billion last year, we'll, you know, make a billion, 90 million this year. You know, it's basically, you know, 9% a year, every year going up. Well, what happened? Well, if you break it down into components, we can see what happened. Earnings per share is up 1%. What's interesting is the 20-year average, or the increase in in earnings per share, is a component of two things. The two components are increases in revenue, so what companies charge for their goods and services, and margin, what their net profit is. Did it go up or did it go down? And that's a function of what they're paying to provide those goods and services. So if we look at the 20-year average, the increase in revenue is about 4% a year. 
long term for the S&P 500. Their improvement to their margins has been 5% a year, and a lot of that is due to technological advances. So, you know, computers can help you save money. Mm-hmm. And so their margins are getting better, their top line's growing 4% a year. What happened in 2022, or what's the estimate there? Well, what's interesting is revenue is way up, 10% instead of 4 you know, the 20-year average was 4 It's actually up 10%, so you're going, wait a second, their profit should be way up. no. Because their margins are down nine. They're paying more because of inflation. They're charging more because of inflation. And they're just netting each other out. So it comes out to about a 1% increase in the margin. So I mentioned it's flat. And that's that 1%. So very interesting to me, the components of we're seeing inflation and its effect that companies, yeah, they're charging more, but they're paying more for labor, for goods, for everything. So uh, we're not seeing that go to the bottom line. Therefore, and, and you know, we're seeing the stock market drop and, and projections not be great and companies missing their mark on estimated earnings and that kind of thing. So th- this graph is really interesting related to that. But the point of this also is the 20-year average was 9% a year increase. So as I mentioned, companies are already making 6% the bottom line. If they're increasing that 6% at 9% of the 6 every year compounding over time, markets go up because of that. Profits will be up. If they're 6% today and you got a 9% increase for five years, then the, you know we're, we're looking at close to 9%. And so that's a 50% increase. So we might consider the market could be up 50% in that example. So if we were to sustain a 9% increase, that would be enormous for the market long-term. But even if it's not 9%, the market's long-term can be quite good if we project this out. But short-term, I'm a little little more hesitant to say they're going to be awesome. Brian, next topic is value versus growth. Yeah, so the stock market can be broken out between value stocks and growth stocks. And, and value stocks, you think banks and utilities and, and that kind of thing with uh, growth, you know, oil and gas, that kind of thing. Growth stocks, you're thinking more technology type companies, maybe healthcare, that kind of thing. For the longest time, growth stocks have, have outperformed value stocks. And you can go back many, many years, in fact, probably to, oh gosh, the mid 2000s. Uh, or even back to about the early 2000s, growth stocks have been at or above as far as performance. But we're finally seeing a, a little give back there to where value stocks have finally come back up. Because you know, anytime you look at them up, well, gee, I should just put all my money in tech stocks. That's, that's the only thing that goes up. But one of the things we're seeing about tech stocks right now, and we'll probably talk about it a little bit later if we have time, is that the dollar is so strong as of a currency relative to other currencies. And our biggest export is technology. And, and I, I would say, you know, pretty clear on that, that we're the technological leaders in the world. And, and that's our big export. Well, it's gotten more expensive for other countries to invest in, in that kind of stuff. And when that's more expensive, sales go down. And so we're seeing technology companies for the first time ever start laying people off. And they don't have the unlimited growth they had once upon a time. Some of that is due to the increase in the dollar. Brian, there's so much great information here. I always enjoy doing these shows because they are so educational. We may uh, actually do more of this next week to uh, just give all the information that is available to us. But for right now, let's talk about returns and valuations by style. 
Yeah, when, when you start breaking down the market, I, I mentioned growth and value is one way. There's also large cap, mid cap, small cap. And then we can uh, have a matrix on one side, three boxes down, large, mid, small, and then three boxes across, value, blend, and growth stocks. So, you know, there's really nine quadrants now we're, we're breaking things into. And all I wanted to say on this is when we compare the current price earnings ratio of the different quadrants to their 20-year average, we still see that large cap growth, think your NASDAQ, your Amazon, Microsoft, Google, Teslas, all of those, they're still above their 20-year average as far as price earnings ratio, which means that, you know, that again, they're, they're a little susceptible right now, especially with the dollar getting stronger and stronger the way it has been. And then as you move across quadrants down to the small cap, small cap value, blend and growth, they're all trading about 60 to 80% of their 20-year average. You might consider they're undervalued. Now, this is real general. I'm not telling you they are or they are not. But one of the things we're looking at as a firm is, you know, we have some, we'll call it dry powder. We have maybe some cash sitting in the sidelines waiting for some events to happen. One of them is the midterms. And I'll talk about that if we have time. But uh, the midterms is a big thing we're looking at so that when we come out and we have some certainty put back into the market, that we would be able to redeploy money into areas that we feel are significantly undervalued relative to where we think they're going to be. And so that's one of the things we're looking at. That's why it's important to not only understand the history, uh, the comparison of valuations over 20, 25-year periods, but to help to have some predictive analytics as we look at the markets and where we think they're going to go. And the midterms coming up on November the 8th. And again, that could greatly affect the markets. We'll just have to wait and see. Our guide to the markets with J.P. Morgan and Brian Evans. That's our topic this week here on Growing Your Wealth. And Brian, as you mentioned, the midterms there, do you think that the outcome of the midterms will have much effect on the markets? I would think so, but you tell me. I would think so too, and here's why. So one of the big reasons we've had so much volatility in the markets is because we have one party in charge of everything, executive, legislative, you know, the Senate, House, the presidency. Mm -hmm. When you have that, things get changed all the time. So we've seen massive spending bills. We've seen massive inflation, interest rate increases, tax laws changing, all, all kinds of uncertainty. Markets do not like uncertainty. When we have one party in charge of everything, and they can just pass things on a whim uh, over and over and over. Things are changing all the time. Companies are going, well, gee, I don't even know the rules. And you keep changing the rules of the game. And now, we again, we have spending was really popular with the party that's in, in office now. And so spend, 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 spend. Don't, don't worry about inflation and uh, interest rates. And then they hit. And so there's all this uncertainty, long-term financing decisions of corporations, whether we're going to have a recession, which we are, we are in one as far as I, I define it. Uh, they've changed the definition of that. But I define it, we are, and is it going to get worse? And so there's been a lot of very negative economic activity coming out of Washington, D.C. because of one party. And this isn't a political comment on that party. This is the fact that if there's one party, lots of things can change. When you have lots of things changing, you have uncertainty. When you have uncertainty, you have a volatile stock market. That's just the nature of things. Now, in the midterms, if the Republicans can take either the House or the Senate, it's my belief that will add uncertainty. And that uncertainty, as funny as it may sound, is a result of gridlock. Gridlock will be the market's friend, in my opinion. 
gridlock is good. <laughs> it's like, like greed is good, uh, Gordon Gecko. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be going saying uh, gridlock is good. Good, yeah. Gridlock is good because uh-huh. I now know I'm not going to have massive tax changes. And I can plan on that. I know we're not going to have massive spending. So I don't have to worry about an overheated economy, interest rates, and inflation going up, up, up. Uh, Okay, good. We're going to have some checks and balances. We don't have checks and balances right now uh, very significantly because everybody's in agreement that's got the majority. And they're not really good economists. In fact, they're terrible. (laughs) They're really bad at economics. I think uh, anybody elected to public office should have to take Economics 101, including our Fed chair. Maybe he was just asleep at the wheel. I I think he was just sleeping on things. He was enjoying uh, the uh, low interest rate environment, the record stock market, and and low inflation, and and all this stuff. And, oh, things are good. And then they weren't. And I was like, whoops, I forgot. When you put $5 trillion in the economy, uh, all those (laughs) things uh, reverse. I kind of knew that. We've been talking about that forever on this show, but whatever. But uh, back to the point here is markets hate uncertainty. When we have that gridlock, we will have certainty that things aren't going to change overnight. I think that will be one of the biggest things that can happen positively for the market. So I, I want to see that play out. And then if that does happen, then, you know, where, where we have the Republicans take something over, then I'm going to relook at things. I'm going to say, OK, where are the sectors that are going to benefit from this gridlock? And, and where are we economically and interest rate wise, trend wise to redeploy some of that what I call dry powder, some of the cash on the sidelines to redeploy, given the, the change that I expect will occur? but I I can't say for certain right now. That's Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs right here in the Puget Sound area in Seattle. And we're going to continue our conversation about our fourth quarter guide to the markets in just a moment. Meantime, you know, we can't predict the future. We do know that if your financial roots, so to speak, are deep enough, the storms that we're having right now aren't as scary. If you want to see how deep your financial roots really are and how well prepared you are for a 30 plus year retirement, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the button that says get started. When you do, you'll fill out some basic information. Once submitted, you'll be able to schedule a call to get your personalized results and review your rooted wealth analysis. Go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Stay tuned for more Growing Your Wealth with Brian Evans, the show you can't afford to miss. Do you ever worry if your CPA and financial advisor are on the same page? You won't have to if you call Madrona Financial and CPAs at 844-MADRONA or go to madronafinancial.com. Now back to more Growing Your Wealth. Welcome back to the show. I'm Brian Evans, CEO of Madrona Financial and CPAs. In this segment, we're going to continue our discussion about the J.P. Morgan Asset Management third quarter review for 2022. And there's been a lot of great information on the program today, Brian. If you're just tuning in, you've missed any part of it, you want to hear the whole thing, again, we are a podcast. Go to wherever you get your podcasts and search Growing Your Wealth, Brian Evans. Brian, let's start with this segment here and talk about the S&P intra-year declines versus calendar year returns. Yeah, I found this graph really interesting. It goes all the way back to, what, 1980. I was just graduating high school then. And so, what, 42 years of graph here. Yeah. And what's interesting about the graph that I'm looking at, again, I apologize for radio listeners. It's not always great radio to be talking about graphs, but, you know, that's, that's what I'm doing. What's interesting is... In the 42 years, you know, a lot of people say, well, if I put money in the market, it goes up, right? Well, yes and no. Yes, over time it goes up. In fact, 32 of 42 years, it ended up being positive. 32 of 42, the last 42. 
The next thing that's interesting about the graph is a lot of people think that when they invest money in the market, it goes up. So you put it in, it goes up, right? Well, not necessarily. In fact, in the last 42 years, I'm looking at how many years the market went negative sometime during the year that you were down. And the answer to that question is out of 42 years, the market was down during the year 42 times. Mm. Every year, wow. it has a down point. In fact, if I look at even the, the 80s, which, which were roaring, I mean, the, the end-of-year returns were 26%, 15 17 26 15 I have all of those. The intra-year declines were negative 17 negative 18 negative 7 negative 13 So sometime during the year, when you're in the market, you're going, this is terrible. In fact, it's been negative all 42 of the last 42 years. Now, if you go back, and, and so the reason I want to bring this up also is, first off, to be an investor in the stock market, you got to have a little bit of a thick skin. <laughs> you will go negative during the year, and you're not going to like that. But you have to understand, yeah, but 32 out of 42, it was up. Yeah? Okay. I, I wish I had the forward graph. I could tell you what the next 10 is going to do. I don't have that one. But that's some indication. So this year, the market was down for the first three quarters, the S&P 500, 25%. And that was its worst point. That was the low point for the year. Last year, it went down only 5% at its low point. The year before, 34 The 25% dropped this year. How is that relative to other years? You have to go all the way back to 2008 to find a bigger drop. Eight and nine. So in 2009, it was down as much as 28%, kind of like this one. 2008, right before that, it was down 49. So that was nasty. And then you have to go back to the dot com 9 11 for a, a 34 and a 30 drop. And then the only other drop as big as this one was back in oh, late 80s, a 34% mid year drop. So it has happened before where we've had intra year drops as much as we've had this year. However, not that many times. And as I mentioned, in a lot of those years where it was negative, even where it went negative 34, it ended up the year positive. Some of these big drops, the 2009, I mentioned it was down 28%. It ended up the year up 23. A few years ago, dot-com is down as much as 34%. It ended up the year up 16. So even with massive intra-year declines, you can see big recoveries. I'm not saying that's going to happen or not happen the rest of this year. It may or may not. And a lot of that depends, in my opinion, on the elections. But I think it's just a good analysis to go through to say, all right, the part of my investment portfolio in the growth aspect, the stock market, I have to have a, a little longer term approach. I can't do this on a short term. I got to have a long term. It's not something I necessarily can access right away or should access. I should have other money and whether it's annuities or private non-traded REITs or, or DSTs, whatever. You used to have money elsewhere because, you know, you want that diversification because the stock market is tough intra year. Next one, Brian, is home prices and affordability. Yeah, so this is kind of interesting to me. Uh, home price growth by city. Uh, if we look uh, median for year-over-year change from July of 2022, the median national home price was up 15%. There are certain markets that were up more than that. Phoenix, Atlanta, 
Dallas and especially Miami. Miami up 31%. Amazing. A lot of people moving to the southern states, to Florida and to uh, Texas. And then down below, Seattle is about 14%, just below the national average. And as you go down, you see cities like Portland, San Francisco, Washington, D.C. Are, are not up nearly as much. But the one thing I wanted to talk about was the housing affordability index. Its baseline is 100, and the lower it goes, the less affordable it is. The higher it goes, the more affordable it is. So we have to go all the way back, though, to about the late 80s since it was at 100. And since then, because interest rates have been dropping, housing has gotten more and more affordable. Wages have kept up quite well over the years, generally speaking, and interest rates lower and lower and lower. And so houses have become more affordable to Americans. And so it's hovering around that 100, 120 range for a long time until about 2009. And then interest rates really dropped and the housing affordability index went briefly to 200, meaning that lots and lots of people could afford to get into houses and or afford their mortgage payments. And so we've been hovering around that 160 mark for quite some time. In fact, into 2021, we were hovering about 160 on this, where the baseline was 100. Mm-hmm. Until recently. Oh, yeah. Until we decided to put trillions of dollars in the economy, overheat it, have inflation, and the interest rates went up. Mm. Now we see this just dead drop from, in fact, it was 180 about a year ago on this index, and it dropped down. Now it's at 102. So now it's way down to where it was in the late 80s as far as affordability. So I I guess there's two ways to look at that. One is it's still not completely out of the realm of possibilities for somebody to afford a house. It's actually where its long-term average has been, the baseline being 100. However, is it as easy as it was two years ago? Heck no. No. (laughs) Not even close. Or five (laughs) years ago? or 10 years ago? No, absolutely not. It is way harder. So most people that have been in the housing, you know, they're in their 20s or 30s, don't know about when it was really hard to buy a house. I look back on this graph as to when I bought a house and it was well under 100, Mm -hmm. my first house. It was hard to buy the house because my first mortgage was 8.625% interest rate. Right. So I I have some historical perspective because I'm old enough. But a lot of younger buyers don't have that historical perspective, and they're just going, this is terrible. And it is relative to where it was a year ago. Yeah, and according to this graph, I mean, around 1982 or so, the affordability index was just a little over 60. And, I mean, I remember interest rates being 18%. So looking at 7% now, it seems like it's a lot compared with the sub-3% interest rates that we are getting a short time ago. But in reality, if you put it into perspective, it seems like this is just about average or these interest rates aren't too bad. Yeah, you know, long term, they they aren't. But, you know, it's like, well, that's nice. I'm 30 years old trying to buy a house and you're telling me about interest rates with the affordability index 45 years ago. I don't care. Yeah, you don't care. (laughs) I just know that (laughs) a year ago I could afford to buy a house, although I couldn't get one because the prices were bid up. And now that they're not bid up, I can't Mm -hmm. afford one because interest rates are too high. And I'm still paying uh, rent in my apartment and my rent's going up 15, 20, 25 percent a year or more. Yep. And this stinks. And I, I feel you. <laughs> I understand where you're coming from. These stats are stats. That's all they are. Yeah. But everybody, uh, you know, this is the macroeconomics lesson today. It is not the sub-micro. The sub-micro is you. How does this affect you? And so I, I just found it interesting. A couple other facts, figures on residential real estate. There's actually uh, housing inventories are well below the 40-year average. Well below. They're probably 
two-thirds. So there's still not a lot of houses listed for sale. Vacancy rates, as a result of interest rates increasing, they've been higher and now they're really low. Uh, They're 5.6% on average, meaning that people have to rent. And so they're renting. So vacancy rates are really low. Housing starts are about average for the long term right now. And multifamily housing starts, however, as opposed to single-family residences, are way up. So the investment dollars are going into building apartments. People are renting apartments because they can't afford houses like they could. That's Brian Evans of Madrona Financial and CPAs, and this is our Guide to the Markets, the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. So much information on the program today, Brian. We've only basically scratched the surface, so next week we will continue with this. If you want to see how deep your financial roots are and whether or not the roots are deep enough to last a 30-plus year retirement, go to madronafinancial.com, click on the Get Started button to see how deep your financial roots are. It'll only take a couple of minutes. You'll schedule a call with a financial advisor who will explain it all to you. Again, go to madronafinancial.com and click on the Get Started button. Out of time for this week. Brian, I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, I want to thank our fine listeners for joining us again this week. For Brian Evans, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend, won't you? We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Growing Your Wealth. No statements made during the Growing Your Wealth show should constitute tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own legal or tax professional on your individual information. Brian Evans and Madrona Financial Services is licensed to offer investment advisory services through Madrona Financial Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Insurance products are offered through Madrona Insurance Services, LLC, a licensed insurance agency and an affiliate of Madrona Financial Services. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Investors cannot invest directly into indexes. No investment strategy, including asset allocation and diversification, guarantees a profit or guarantees the avoidance of loss. Financial planning is an important tool that does not guarantee specific outcomes.